Welcome to episode nine of the Keeper Cut podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. We are here, as always, to talk about Keeper Leagues, Auto New Leagues, anything long-term. This is Chad Young, joined by my co-host, Pete Ball. And this week, we've got a guest, Alex Fast from Pitcherless. You probably know him if you are listening to this podcast, because if you're reading Pitcherless and you don't know Alex, you are, you're missing out. There's some great, great stuff from him. The man who, who made... CSW famous, or maybe CSW made you famous. Maybe you made each other famous. <laughs> Did great work on CSW last year that really introduced that stat to the world. Has become one of my go-tos. And so, Alex, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm sorry. I, I feel like I was such a pain. I was like, I, I had to, almost had to reschedule and blah, blah, blah. So I want to be forthcoming that, you know, I was a jerk, but you guys were very flexible. And, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to be here talking with you today. I would hardly say you're being a jerk. You were you were very polite about all the schedule changes that didn't even end up happening. Yeah, they were just schedule true. changes we thought might happen. So yeah. I really have to stop messaging people after eleven. Is really <laughs> really <laughs> where we're going for. no, but I'm happy to be here and I'm excited to talk some some more long term baseball with you guys. This isn't really a topic that I get to discuss all that much, so it, it's cool. I'm excited to mix it up a little bit. Do you play in any keeper leagues? I do. So my hometown league, the league that I've been in the longest, is actually sort of a weird bastardized keeper league, dynasty league, sort of. It's We have five keepers a year, and then we also have a little mini minor league draft after our regular draft. And then in that minor leagues, you can kind of bring guys up back and forth until they surpass rookie eligibility. So it's not super deep. It's just six picks in the minor league draft. And a lot of those are kind of wasted on guys that people can take advantage of right away. But you know, it's funny, even though the league's been around for a few years, the minor league system is new, but we're really for the first time seeing, you know, this dude this year has Trout and Acuna and Cody Bellinger and Vlad Guerrero Jr. So it's really fun. I've never really been a part of a league where like, okay, now it's happening. Now you can see why building is important. So it's it's a real fun twist because redraft is cool, but there's really something fun to like building a team. So Alex, that sounds awesome. And I think for our listeners, like when I hear about settings like this, I'm always wondering, how do they do that? As somebody who who primarily plays on ESPN, it's not a lot of flexibility with those settings. So how do you guys run a league like that? That's a great question. And I'm the commissioner of this league and it is on ESPN, which is still actually my preferred format because I just happen to like that app the most. Some people might love that. Some people might hate that. So I keep a huge spreadsheet live with all of the rosters on there. And then we essentially have a do not draft list over the course of the season. If you're going to run a league like this, that's meticulous. You really, really, really need a constitution that is super airtight. So we have a constitution that we work on every year in the winter meetings, but essentially we have this one spreadsheet you have your minor league draft at the bottom those are the guys you can't really touch i'm the one who takes care of like you know lobbying people up and down and then as sad as it is you just have to put you know minor penalties into the constitution right the first time someone bids on someone in the waiver wire it's an accident i get it there's a lot of players to keep track of i give them back to you the second time all that waiver wire money that you use to acquire that player it's gone you know what i mean you got to learn your lesson there it's a little bit more of a pain in the butt to keep track of but it is really fun it, it introduces another level of strategy strategy and it, it it gives you kind of that impression that you're a you know you're running a baseball club which is the reason why we're doing this right that's why we want to do it is to pretend we're managers for a minute league managing that god bless yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love that you have a winter meeting where you work on your league constitution it's like 
the owners meetings, getting together to discuss rules changes and stuff. <laughs> I have never been angrier at my best friends than in that time. <laughs> the worst of human beings comes out in that two week period. But yeah, it, it is kind of fun. I'm looking forward to like one year, you know, when we're all like retired and 70 where we can all fly out somewhere and like do it in person as opposed to me getting a billion emails uh but yeah it, it is it is fun it's a labor of love very cool very cool i'm glad you got some some keeper experience because that is what we're looking for here at keeper cut and so obviously a fantasy podcast we want to talk about pitchers in general but for us there's always that angle of who are the pitchers who not only count my team this year but but into the future and pete between the two of us I mean, you're really the the pitcher guy. I think in almost every episode we've done so far, there's been some point at which I've been like, I don't know, I wouldn't take that many pitchers that early. And you're really like, I would take seven more pitchers. Take all the pitchers. <laughs> so to me, pitching is so volatile. It's so hard to predict. I have a really hard time feeling confident in my, my pitcher picks. And so I tend to, I'll take the hitters I feel better about. Pete, why is it that you are just so focused on pitchers early on and building a strong staff? Okay, so I'll I'll try to be quick. I mean, this is something we've talked about in the past, but you know, with Alex here, I want to clarify my stance. Hitting is more; it's just easier to get now than it ever was before. And and I I picked a random position for the year that I started playing fantasy baseball. Okay, so I wanted to look at shortstops from two thousand and seven. Three of the top ten shortstops in two thousand and seven hit 12 home runs or less. Michael Young, <laughs> Orlando Cabrera, they were in the single digits. And then it was Edgar Renteria, who spent a lot of time on the disabled list then, back when it was called the disabled list, and he only had 12 homers. That is not the case anymore. You know, I went to fantasy pros to look at their projections at shortstop. You have to scroll for like, you, you have to get a cup of coffee and just start scrolling to get to the point where you find anybody who projected for less than 20 homers. In 2019, 6,776 dudes hit home runs. And when guys hit homers, it helps everything across the board for hitters other than stolen bases, obviously, which has become its own niche thing that, that you and I have spent some time on. But when guys are hitting that many homers, it's like, you know, the example I used before, you could take Eloy Jimenez and, and you know, obviously he got hurt. No one predicted that in the second round or get Castellano six rounds later. Conversely, that's affecting pitching. Pitchers have given up more homers than they ever were before. And you could say, well, that coincided with an increase in strikeouts. It did. But we're still seeing guys who can strike everybody out and still have an ERA up over four and a half. So I look at pitchers and I say that middle class is disappearing. We get that top tier of dudes who, Chad, you said for you is just Jacob DeGrom. For me, it'll be those top three, Garrett Cole, Jacob DeGrom, and Shane Bieber. After that, man, I mean, sure, you got your more likely guys, right? Your Nola's, your Giolitos. But it falls off so quickly. So I want to have as many bullets in the chamber as I can to hit on those starting pitchers so I don't have to worry about it later in the draft. And I do have to give credit to Scott White of the CBS Fantasy Baseball Today podcast because when he first started talking this way, I was against it. You know, because I when I was playing fantasy at first, it was. It was get the guys who can hit homers because they're so rare. But now more homers are being hit than ever before. Hitting is getting easier to find later in the draft. Give me the best chance at having a, a reasonable rotation. I have to ask them, do you, are, I mean, the ball theoretically going to be deadened? I mean, does that impact your opinion on any of this? We'll see. I, I don't see how you can, how anybody can put any stock in that right now. I have a hard time believing baseball wants to cut down on home runs. So I, if it does, then, then I'll reassess. But it took me long enough to get here, to be honest with you, that uh, I need more than just a, a threat that they're going to, you know, cut down on that. Mm. Alex, are you expecting the dead and ball to, 
to really make a difference? I think the way I'm handling it so far, because I agree with Pete that it is a little bit nebulous at the time right now. I think we're introducing a notion that the ball is, you know, the first time people heard it, it was like, oh my God, drop everyone. You know, this is going to be such a problem. I think I'm really kind of using it as a tiebreaker kind of thing. Like when I see a guy like John Means, for example, who had a pretty big disparity between his expected home runs and his home runs, that is going to benefit him, right? I, I think it's going to benefit those kind of niche guys who are already those outliers there. And then, I mean, there are so many guys that I'm aiming for for power that like it really like you can deaden the ball as much as you want. Joey Gallo is still going to hit it 400 feet. You know what I mean? When Luke Voigt's healthy, he's still going to hit it 400 feet. Yeah, maybe there's a few guys like DJ LeMayhew. It could drop down a little bit. But in my opinion, those are the guys that you're just hoping for a few extra home runs for. You know what I mean? It's not like those are the guys that you're really relying for on your power. So I guess I'm not too concerned for it. I'm curious to see, as Pete said, what actual impact it has. But I think going into a draft and using having that be a part of your draft strategy might be putting a little bit too much weight on something that we're not quite sure of yet. Alex, I got to say, it took about eight minutes for you to bring up John Means. <laughs> That's funny. You know, it's funny too. It's like, I'm actually, Nick is the one who's in on him. I like, I don't know. I, I'm still kind of like, maybe it's just my Oriole fandom as I like stare at my Baltimore Orioles hat. But like, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm still not fully sold. I hope he's good. I hope he's very good. You're like, Pete in that regard. Every time I mention a Red Sox player, he's like, that guy is not going to be good. <laughs> he's like, so he's the most pessimistic fan. It's like, I'm always making homer picks. I'm, I'm a Cleveland fan and like, I'm all in on Josh Naylor this year. I'm like, I'm, there's a bunch of guys that I'm excited about. I, I'm always a big, I'm always a big Cleveland guy. And, and Pete's like the opposite. It's every time I'm like, Oh, you know, Michael Chavis having a great spring training. What's he going to do? He's not good. I don't even yeah, think he's, he's going to get a chance. Out. Yeah, yeah, well, the, yeah. Way, the way that I've I've grown up watching baseball with my dad and my brother, if you say like, oh, man, like big poppy's up, let's go. And he strikes out. You get blamed for jinxing that. Like, oh it's like, God. why did you say that? So That's I'm so just funny. inherently like everybody's going to be terrible. So hopefully we win the World Series. Well, at least you have that. I mean, like my ex yeah. my expectation isn't rooted in superstition; it's rooted in truth. <laughs> like uh, the reason the Orioles aren't good is because they're just not good. Like, yeah, yeah. That that may be why I'm able to be optimistic about Cleveland. Is you know, teams have been good. Teams are consistently yeah. good actually for the last like twenty twenty five years. Never quite good enough, and so there's yeah. nothing to jinx. We're not, <laughs> we can't win anything anyway. So when you can't beat the Cubs, I don't know, Chad. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, that's brutal. Anyways, I don't want to relive that right now. What I do <laughs> want to do is talk about finding starting pitching. And one of the ways that I've started to look at starting pitching is using CSW, called strikes and whiffs, which is, as we mentioned, Alex has done a lot of work on this in the past. And Alex, I am fairly convinced I'm using it incorrectly. <laughs> oh. And so what I'm curious to know is from you, first of all, can you tell people just briefly what the stat is and, and why it's so interesting. But then how do you use it in fantasy leagues? Like, How are you using it to identify guys you want to target? So yeah, CSW called strikes plus whiffs over total pitches. Very simple formula. Hey, you can find it on fan graphs now. I don't know who we had to pay to make that happen, but that was a that was a hell of a day. We got excited about it when we first found out about it. Nick, of course, with the original idea, I ideated upon it, came up with the article. Correlates very, very well to Sierra and is therefore a good predictor of future success over the course of the season. How do I use it? I use it as a contextual part of a box score right? If someone wants the quick and dirty way to approach CSW, make it a part of what you're looking at in a box score for the day, right? Because 
earned runs don't really tell you that much. You know, walks and strikes, yeah, they can give you a good idea of what his command was like that day. CSW is just going to help with that context. I'm never going to say it's the only stat you need to look at. It needs to be looked at with other stats. The way that I use it in particular, I just keep this kind of running list, right? Or I'll use PitcherList has it on their leaderboards now. What is this? What does a guy CSW look like after one start? And then I just kind of keep it in the back of my mind and then just keep track of them over the next couple starts because it takes about five to seven before it's going to actually stabilize. If you're paying attention to CSW on opening day and a guy posts, say, a 34% CSW, which league average is around 30, that's exciting. Pay attention to him. Same thing with a 40% CSW, right? Who knows? It's a cold weather day. Guys haven't really showed up from spring yet. Whatever. They're dealing with an ailment. If it starts to happen again, that's where you really want to get interested. Let's say out of four starts, there's two of three above average CSWs and one very, very below average CSW. We can probably learn that that's probably going to wash out, right? So it's all about context. It's all about the averages. But now we have all of these tools to be able to use it best, right? PitcherList has that leaderboard where you can see it each week. It's on the Baseball Savant game feed. It's on the Fangraphs feed. So if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, well, what should I do with it? Or to answer your question, Chad... Check it after one start. Keep a tally in your head. And if you're desperate, like if you're desperate, and even though there's not enough sample and you need a, a quick stream, who had a good CSW last week and what's their opponent? Are they playing the Cubs who like to swing and miss, or at least they did a little bit more? Are they playing the Orioles who actually don't like to swing and miss as much as people think? That's how you can play it early on. But if you're really monitoring that waiver wire the course of a full season, five to seven starts, take a look who's coming up, who's falling down and go from there. You said 30% is league average. So if, if someone's got at 33, 34, 35% over a handful of starts, you're looking at that guy and going, forget what his ERA has been, forget what's happened. Like this guy is someone who moving forward, I'm excited about. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, just to hone in on all the context I'm using too, right? Like that CSW could theoretically explain some of those ERA FIP gaps. It could definitely explain some of those FIP Sierra gaps, right? So it's it's a great starting point, right? Because I think one of the things that is so tough is like, I mean, you guys know this, there's so many friggin' numbers. There's so many metrics. Where do you get started? And I just find that CSW is a really good one. And because it, it could lead you down a bunch of good paths or it could lead you down, you know, okay, he's got a 33% CSW. Yeah, but his Sierra is actually 4.5 and his FIP is actually 5.5 and he played the Tigers twice. You don't really need to go far down that road before you realize, okay, the CSW probably isn't the most accurate in this instance. Got it. Got it. So for us, when we're looking at pitchers, especially in, in keeper leagues, at least for me and my, my keeper leagues, like I know who the top pitchers are, right? Everyone knows who the top 5, 10, 15, you may disagree about the order, but we generally know who they are. And they're expensive, whether it's an auction or a draft, you're using up a lot of draft capital to get them. The real value in keeper leagues, especially when there's a cost associated with them, in a league like an auto new league where you're paying a guy a salary every year, is those like $1, $2 guys, the guys you pick up on waivers during the season or as a free agent during the season. Is that where you're using CSW is like, who are, who are the free agent pitchers who have gone three, four good starts and are, are starting to get to that five to seven, try to jump in maybe before they get to that stabilized point? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question, too. I mean, for me personally, I'm always going to have like at least one pitching spot that's just going to be a, a churn and burn, 
You know what I mean? That's just the way that I like to work. I have no problem making one, maybe even two spots a churn and burn. And what I'm doing is exactly what you said. Okay, it's been three starts. This guy's got an above average CSW and his next two starts, you know, maybe he's on the Indians. Maybe it's Logan Allen, let's say. And he's got a really good CSW in his first three starts. And guess what? He's getting the Royals and he's getting the Tigers in his next two starts. I'm going to go ahead and jump aboard there. You know what I mean? It's it's a weak schedule and it's consistency. What's good about CSW is it's quick. It's digestible. It's over 30%. Great. Go ahead and take a pick. If you really want to get into the nitty gritty, break down the CSW into called strikes and swinging strikes, right? Swinging strikes is what's going to stabilize pretty quickly. And it's what's going to be most consistent year over year, especially in a small sample size. You have three or four starts. The called strikes are a little bit wonky. Maybe the umpire wasn't great that day. Maybe it was a little bit, you know, his, his zone was a little bit different than usual. That's going to take a little bit longer to stabilize. And that's probably the reason why CSW takes five to seven starts. So if you really want to get into the nitty gritty, okay, who are the guys that are, having a high CS as opposed to a CSW. And then how does that compare to their actual numbers? Are these usually command guys? You know, if not, then maybe that's kind of a red flag. But yeah, once again, that's a that's a pretty like deep cut. You know, if you really want to try to overthink things like I like to do. <laughs> so Alex, that got that got me thinking. And in a way, you, you, you kind of answered it. But when looking long term, Right, if, we're, if I'm in a keeper and I want to make an investment in a pitcher and I see, all right, this guy has a really great CSW. And, you know, you brought up in small sample sizes, like, you know, he faced Detroit twice. That could be a red flag where the CSW could look really good, but the pitcher maybe actually isn't because his Sierra is up, his FIP is up, whatever it may be. What are some possible red flags of, all right, we can't figure it out. This guy has a great CSW and yet we're nine starts into the year, we're 12 starts into the year. The ERA isn't backing it up. He's not reeling in the quality starts. So what's going wrong with this pitcher? Because to me, at some point, like you said, the called strikes have to have to kind of level off, right? Mm. They can they can be wonky, but they have to level off. And if you're generating a lot of swinging strikes and a lot of called strikes, I mean, shouldn't that player be good? So what in those cases is usually going wrong? Yeah, that's such a good Good question. And there are a few examples that come to mind. One that was even in the in the crux of the article, and that was Derek Holland, right? Derek Holland used to actually put up really above average CSWs. And there was a time where he was having a brief little renaissance. But there are also instances in which, okay, then he would just let two or three runners on in an inning and give up a long shot. And that would be something that would perpetually happen with him. Defense is also a big factor. And I bring up Matthew Boyd, right? Matthew Boyd had a really, really great CSW two years ago, backed up by a really, really good slider. But A, he was home run prone. And B, the defense was never really there to back him up. I saw the outfield just botch so many plays for him. But then that brings up the, the other point, right? A defense doesn't matter when they can't catch the ball. These kind of high feaster famine dudes who give up, have high home run per nines, or they give up a lot of loud, hard contact, the CSW also isn't really going to burn them. And it, it really is such a fantastic question. I haven't really even thought about it all that much, but it, it brings to mind kind of what's turning into the theme of this talk, which is that context. If I see that high CSW that comes in with a low BABIP and a poor defense or an elevated home run to fly ball rate, XFIP could become really important. And then how you interpret XFIP. I've, I've had a really weird, only on... <laughs> Only on a fancy baseball podcast when I say something as absurd as this. I've had a really weird relationship with XFIP uh, these past couple of years. Uh, Just runs hot and cold. Sometimes you guys are really close and sometimes you're not feeling it. Exactly. It's like, just clean the dishes, XFIP. Like, it's all I ask of you. It's like, I don't want to see the sink overflowing. 
when at first I was like XFIP, great. It's a nice tool to keep in the toolbox. Then I was very anti XFIP because to me, hard contact is such a personal thing to a pitcher. XFIP doesn't matter for Matthew Boyd because he's never going to perform to his XFIP. You know what I mean? He's always going to be a guy who's giving up home runs. But then I kind of came back and said, yeah, but you know, the raw numbers really correlate well to other things. And, you know, Matthew Boyd just seems like the exception to the rule. But the reason I bring it up is that could be used in tandem with CSW. If he really is giving up that many home runs, yeah, the strikeouts don't matter. And then to even further complicate this, I don't mind as much if it's a points league because all that really matters for the points league is the strikeouts, right? The home runs can burn you and that's fine. But usually in a points league, getting those strikeouts is really the most important thing. So I'll elevate those guys a little bit more in a roto or in a, in a head to head categories. Yeah. The strikeouts, maybe I can get from an elite reliever and not hurt my ratios quite so much, but yeah, there's where even more of that context seems to come into play. Yeah, certainly in, in auto new point leagues, home runs are pretty painful. And so you got to watch those home runs, but strikeouts are where it's at. I don't know if we've talked about it in this episode or on this show, but we've I've talked about it, I know, in other places that like Kyle Hendricks is just not that exciting in auto new points leagues because he doesn't rack up enough strikeouts to really be as good as you'd like him to be. And alternatively, I think he's almost universally underrated in roto leagues because he doesn't rack up the, the gaudy strikeout numbers that people want to see and so people are like eh, i don't know he doesn't really strike anybody out blah, blah, blah. like he's really good and he's consistently really good and it does like con- league context matters so much and uh, the, the point you make about you know csw maybe not it sounds like csw doesn't really correlate to home runs in any meaningful way yeah, no, I I haven't done actual numbers into that, but that's a really interesting question. I, I would imagine it doesn't, or I would actually be curious to see what the league-wide correlation would be over the past five years with guys really turning into these kind of feaster, famine, home runner, strikeout kinds of dudes. But, you know, when I look at the top leaderboards for CSW, obviously there's the elite guys, but then even a guy like Dylan Bundy, I guess he's a fly ball pitcher who gave up home runs, but last year he didn't give up quite as many. So yeah, it's a really, that's actually a really interesting question. So it sounds like to me, like a lot of this, if you have a high CSW and the results aren't there, it sounds like the majority of the potential issues are kind of things that are out of their control, be it the fielding or, you know, fly balls that just happen to turn into home runs. So if I am looking long term and I see, all right, this guy hasn't broken out yet, but the CSW is there, that's a player I'm I'm inclined to roll the dice on. Yeah, that's such a, you know, I guess the last thing is theoretically like, Okay, if I have a CSW and it's not really matching up with the other metrics, A, isn't reliant mostly on called strikes, and B, if that's the case, that could be indicative of the fact that a pitcher needs another pitch to get his his whips. You know what I mean? I guess a guy like Aaron Savale comes to mind who, you know, great at getting to two strikes, but kind of lacked that action pitch, right? You know what I mean? And he could be a perfect example of like, okay, pretty nice CSW, but, you know, last year, four ERA, obviously because of that one last start. But like now that he's got this new splitter, now that he's maybe more willing to go to his curveball in two strikes, okay, maybe that makes him jump up a little bit more. I'm, I'm, I'm off the top of my head too. I think Savali had a pretty league average CSW. I could be wrong. Another guy with, with some pitch change that I've been looking at quite a bit recently i'm just sort of curious your take on is is randy dobnak mm. right who who went to this what is the supinated slider su, su, I, I think that's the right word it's yeah supinated. it has to do with yeah. the direction your hand is when you release the ball right you can be yeah. pronated mm-hmm. which is your hand is over the top mm-hmm. and then if you're supinated it's under it's it, the ball your hand is basically going under the ball as you throw Correct. it yeah. and he switched his slider mm. from a pronated to a supinated based on 
as I understand it, based on feedback from the Twins like analytics department. You know, that's so funny. I did not know that about Dobnak. And I, I've been actually talking a lot about supination and pronation and what it means for, for gyro spin. So that's really, really interesting to hear. Yeah, as you said, sliders are more often than not supinated. Supinated is also, you know, what you would associate, I think, with gyro spin. It's also like throwing a football. You know, if you really want to visualize supination, that's kind of the way that you're you're doing it. Gyro spin is also that kind of football spin. They also call it bullet spin. It also looks like dishwasher spin, where it's just kind of going in a circle. You know, Dobnak, Wes Johnson, I, I believe that's the name of the pitching coach in Minnesota. He He's a smart guy. And he, he knows what he's doing. And they clearly believe in him if they just gave him that five-year contract. Uh, and he's another interesting dude that I think we've all paid attention to because of Alex Chamberlain's obsessions with him over the past couple of years. But yeah, if he's a guy who has that out pitch because he's really never been that dude, he's always been like a low ratios dude. That's a really interesting thing to keep track of. And that's right now you can. You don't really need to buy Randy Dobnak and regular 12-teamers because he doesn't have a rotation spot. You know what I mean? So in a keeper league, if you're rebuilding, put a dollar on Randy Dobnak. You know what I mean? Worst comes to worst, he's like Kyle Hendricks light where he keeps his ratios down. He gets a good amount of ground balls. He's not going to strike out a bunch of dudes. Then there's also still some upside if that slider ends up working out. Yeah, his his spring training, he has 18 strikeouts in 13 and two-thirds innings, I think, wow. with this new slider, which, you know, it's spring training and he's yeah. playing probably, you know, a triple A level schedule and all of that. But even if you take that and say, okay, let's knock that down from where it is to where it might be against, you know, real competition in real games in the regular season, it's like he was under six strikeouts per nine last year. So he doesn't have to go all the way to 18 and 13 in 13 innings to yeah. have it be a huge gain from where he was. I'm, I'm sort of with you. I think he's a guy who, he is a free agent in almost every league I'm in right now. And in my redrafts, I'm just sort of watching. I'm curious to see what happens with him. In my auto new leagues and my keeper leagues, I'm starting to put some nominations in for him and starting to try to pick him up here and there and get a get him on a couple of rosters for a dollar or two because who knows? He does a yeah. good job of limiting hard contact. And he if he can get those strikeouts up, he doesn't have to be a 10 per nine kind of guy. He could get him up to seven or eight and it'd be a huge yeah. jump from where he was. And I do think you made the point that like the twins must believe in him. Uh, that contract jumped out at me for that because mm. they are, they're paying him what it was $10 million over five years or whatever, which is 9.5 million. It's not a ton of money in baseball terms. He has not proven himself on the field yeah. to necessarily be worth that kind of long-term commitment. Yeah. And so the twins obviously see something that the rest of us don't. And so my, my bet is that they saw something in their analytics department. They told him to work on the slider. He came back with this rework slider. That rework slider has worked for 13 spring innings and they're just gambling. And yeah. they're just saying for 10 million bucks, we'll buy that slider. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And we'll eat that. But I love seeing them do that. I think it's it's one of the it's a situation that's really a I think a win win. There is a possibility that he becomes just an absolute monster and regrets signing that deal. But man, if you consider where Dobnak was two three years ago, yeah, man, he's got he he now he's got ten million dollars in the bank. He's yeah. got to earn it over the next five years, I guess. He doesn't just get it today, but still, that's pretty no. great. Um, no more Uber riding for him. No more Uber driving. No, that's right. And if I read correctly, that that deal is actually 
I, th- I think it can go up to like 24 or 25 million dollars. Oh, interesting. Oh, really? So even gambling on him even more. If I read that correctly, I, I could have read. I'll, I'll look that up right now. But I thought it was it could go up even from where it was at at the 10 million. I didn't realize that. That's great. I mean, I think we talk so I feel like we talk so much in the baseball world about players getting taken advantage of and players not getting their fair shake and being held back for service time. And with good reason, because it happens a lot and it's a problem. But it's like I would love to hear that Dobnak has the opportunity to turn that into a twenty, twenty-five million dollar deal or something like that, because it's huge for him to have that security now and get a get a shot at at making some real money. And I mean, that's great. I'm I'm super excited yeah. about that deal. I think it's a I think it's just like a good thing. <laughs> Regardless of whether yeah. it's a good contract for sorry, Jeff Hassan was reporting it. The deal includes three club options with escalators that can bring the total amount up to twenty nine point seven five million dollars. Wow. Nice. That is awesome. That's a commitment, even if it's not a commitment. <laughs> yeah. Go get yeah. that money, Randy. <laughs> we started to talk a little bit about guys you can pick up late in drafts, even as free agent. Dobnak came up just now. We we're talking about Savali a minute ago. What about prospects? Mm-hmm. Are you like how are you identifying the starting pitching prospects that you're interested in? You've got this home league you told us about at the beginning. You got a six round minor league draft. Yeah. Pitcher list. I mean, we have a really good team, you know, like I'm relying a lot on, you know, Andy Patton. I'm relying a lot on Shelly Restrade. I'm, you know, on, on Trevor Huth, who, if he listens to this, he will be very excited that his name was mentioned and will probably uh, tweet about it. And then Eric Cross, also a great resource. Cause it's funny, you know, like I am better with looking at numbers than I am with purely evaluating talent. I am still relatively new to visually evaluating and I have no problems with that. I mean, like this is, this isn't something I've been doing my entire life. I am not a baseball player. I was never a baseball player. So I think for me, it's just trying to get as much access as possible, but also trusting that like, you know, that's such a intense world, that prospect world. And I don't know if I'm ready to get my, I'm, I already get hurt enough as is by following Orioles prospects so I'm not ready to commit to a bunch of young pitchers to then follow them through the minors. So usually what I do is I wait until they're ready. You know what I mean? And some people might hear that and think, well, yeah, but then you're going to miss out on some of these guys. There are so many that come up that even in a keeper or in a dynasty, you're, th- there are names right now that people probably still haven't even heard of that are going to be absolutely dominant, right? Like today, I was thinking about that watching Savali versus Taylor Widener. And Taylor Widener at moments looked great. Right. Uh, he, he had a few poor change ups that he left over the heart of the plate that got rightfully punished. But I was thinking that, like, go figure. Taylor Widener's the one guy that, you know, maybe he, I'm not saying he is, but maybe he puts it all together and he's dominant and no one is talking about Taylor Widener. You know what I mean? It could be Dobnak. Like you said, a few people are talking about Dobnak. You're rightfully talking about Dobnak, but Dobnak isn't really dominating the discussion right now. You know what I mean? It's not like he was ever a top prospect, right? There was never a point exactly. in time where people were like, who are your top pitching prospects? Like, oh, Grayson Rodriguez is really good. And also Randy Dobnak. Yeah, That exactly. conversation yeah. never happened. <laughs> and, I mean, it was the same thing with Shane Bieber. Shane Bieber was never a top pitching prospect. You know what I mean? So for me, I think what I usually like to do is every once in a while, I'll go to MILB.com and see who's got the best K to walk ratio. You know what I mean? I'm not really interested in ERA too much, especially because the park factors can be a little bit wonky in the minor leagues. And we don't know what they're doing with the new ball down in the minor leagues as well. So who's got control? Who's got command? Who's getting a few swings and misses? And does that make sense for that person? I guess some some guys that I've got my eye on that I'm excited about, you know, I'll start with being a homer and Grayson Rodriguez. I, I really do think that the sky is the limit for him. And I got him in my minor league draft. I, I'm still, you know, it's important for me to remember that 
prospect growth and pitching growth in particular is not linear. And I'm really curious to see what Spencer Howard is able to do with a new uptick in velocity and with his new pitching coach, Caleb Cotham in Philadelphia, who's a driveline guy, was with the Cincinnati Reds for a while. He might be able to help. Also, Daniel Lynch, for those listening, he's a prospect in Kansas City who's just got an electric fastball. But I, I'm a little bit worried. You know, organizational mentality is so important. I feel like Cleveland just keeps popping out dudes that like we hadn't even heard of. You know what I mean? That we're like, what? Like, uh, how, who was this guy? And now he's a dominant. Um, and I don't necessarily feel like that same way about Kansas City. We were talking about Jacob Junis for a really long time. You know, maybe Brad Keller is finally there. Maybe Brady Singer could do it again. Maybe Chris Bubich could do it again. So that has me a little reticent on guys like Daniel Lynch. But to answer your question in a very long-winded way, I'll pay attention to what's happening on MILB.com. I'll pay attention to organizations and who I think is good growing a pitcher and who isn't. And then just go on Twitter and, and look at as much content as I can. So the, the direction that was going, Chad, reminded me of our first episode where you've got to be willing to accept guys that maybe those reports aren't out there on and be vigilant and look for those changes. Look for the new Randy Dobnak slider or whatever it might be. You know, this takes us back to one of my favorite players, Tanner Houck, right? Who we don't need to go into mm -hmm. a long spiel about, but he was a fairly touted prospect out of college and and that glamour has has gone in the Red Sox minor league system like it has for so many other pitchers and he actually looks like he could be pretty darn good if he can get that command under control yeah and you know that's actually a really fantastic point that I actually haven't really thought about it this way before it actually might be a benefit to not be overly invested in the prospect landscape as a whole because there are inherent biases that we are going to develop regardless of how much we are aware of them or not right i if i am paying attention to this prospect and i have been doing so for four years there is a desire to say well damn it if he's good he's going to be good on my team you know what i mean and next thing you know you're hanging on to brian mattis for seven years you know what i mean oh, like no. so i <laughs> it still hurts. That was our rotation of the Ari Arietta right? won exactly a Saw working. Young though, right? That... Yeah, just in the wrong <laughs> uniform. Is there any better indication that Alex Cobb's going to win a Saw Young this year than he's got traded from the Orioles? But yeah, so that that is actually a really interesting point. Maybe it's for my own sanity, but it, it might be nice to just take a step back from that prospect landscape and breathe. A I think it was Socrates that said, "I know I'm smart because I know I know nothing," or something like that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's very true. And I remind myself that I know nothing yeah. daily. So I, I learned very quickly to to not worry about pitching prospects as a Cleveland fan because for years, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna age myself here, but Adam Miller was the Indians' top pitching prospect for years, and just yeah. never he couldn't get healthy. He had he had finger ligament issues or something, and then they had no pitching prospects. There was nobody, and out of nobody came Corey Kluber, Mike Leventer, Shane Bieber, Zach, please. Like they just spit out these guys. And, and, you know, you mentioned something before about looking at strikeout to walk ratio and looking at command and control. And you should be friends with the guys in the Cleveland front office because that is their MO from what I can see is they go out and get guys who they think can locate their pitches and hit their spots. And then they worry about getting their velocity or adding a pitch if they need to add a pitch or something like that. It's almost a it's almost like a little bit of a driveline mentality, right? And the ability to develop the velocity and develop the pitches. But if you got a guy who can pitch, right, he can he can hit his yeah. spots and, and throw the right pitch at the right time to the right place, you can work around that. My understanding, and this is coming second or maybe even third hand, is that the Mariners are starting to go more that route. And that their oh, their pitcher yeah. development process 
to some folks I have talked to in the prospect world looks more like Cleveland's than it used to, which has me very interested in Logan Gilbert, Emerson Hancock, and George Kirby. Kirby's actually the one who, for me, seems to be the command and control guy. And so I'm sort of watching him as a almost a test case, right? Like, can they actually take that command yeah. and control guy and turn him into the best of those three? I don't know. We'll see. But I'm, I'm super intrigued. And I look for the same thing. I think as much as we talk about the importance of velocity and, and being able to throw hard, there are so many guys who can do it that the ones who can control it are the ones who stand out for me. And they're the ones who really have a chance to, to be special. Pete, you had made a list of guys to quiz Alex. It's the lightning round, we'll call it. <laughs> do you want to you jump into that? Sure. Yeah. And Chad, I'm going to include you on this. There's a couple names there that we, we've kicked around in the past, at least a little bit. We're going to play a game. I've got a few names uh, here who are guys who are, they either went super late in drafts. I mean, by the time this episode airs, drafts are over. So you're hoping that you took a flyer on them, unless, you know, Alex or Chad says they stink. Um, or you go and you pick them up if they say they're good, because there's a good chance that a few of these names are on your league's free agency. So on a scale of one to 10, one being like, I don't want anything to do with this guy, and 10 being I absolutely have to have him. I'm going to give you a couple of players, maybe five, six. We'll see how many we get through. And I just want some thoughts on how you feel about these guys. Does that sound good? Yeah, love it. All right. Particularly, again, focusing on the long term. And the theme here is obviously these guys are all pretty young. So the first name is a name that's gotten really hot lately. He's having a terrific spring. And that's Trevor Rogers. I noticed he was on your updated top 100 starting pitcher ranking. He cracked the list. He was there somewhere in the 90s. So tell me about him, Alex. Yeah, I would say to 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 start with your one to ten scale, I'm gonna go ahead and say like a seven, which I think is yeah, as someone I'm interested in owning long term. He's in an organization I think has done a really good job bringing up these pitchers. I, I I can't say they're necessarily always going to hold on to the pitchers that they do a very good job developing. As I still scratch my head about the Zach Gallen deal, but still, I mean, even with Sandy Alcantara, even with Sixto Sanchez, even with Eliezer Hernandez, even with Pablo Lopez. These are all guys that have come up through that system. And we have seen Rogers be able to flash that upside. And you want to talk about a guy where the strikeout to walk ratios are there. I mean, this is a guy who had, you know, essentially near or at an 8% walk rate in his past couple of years. He even had a 5.3% walk rate in 2019 in a uh, high A over 110 innings pitched. He's obviously showing some nice velocity in spring. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, you know, we're talking more long-term, but for those who are listening to like his early season schedule uh, isn't the best. I think it's St. Louis, which is fine, but then the Mets, but then he gets the Giants back to back. So that's a kind of a night. I'm going to update it to an eight then, because this is a nice mix of you can see if it works out against easier teams, especially against the Giants twice. And if it does, you've got some some real nice potential here. And then for the real long term. Probably not over 130 innings this year, considering only through like 10 last year. So then, yeah, that, that's that's a nice, I'm interested in that. Yeah, I think it'd be around a seven or eight as well. And I think it's, for me, it is that long term. It's, I, I'm not sure, Alex, you made the point before that development in baseball, in particular with pitchers, is not linear. And so I think the mm. thing that I, that I see with Rodgers is he's got some real pedigree as a prospect. He hasn't always lived up to that pedigree. And so some of the shine is worn off, I guess I would say. 
but he seems to be moving towards putting things together. And if he does, the upside's really big. And with these in-keeper yeah. leagues, in-out-of-new leagues, dynasty leagues, these late pick, I, I want them to have that kind of upside, right? I think one of the things I'm struggling with this year is like, there's a bunch of guys out there like Mike Miner, who are available in a lot mm-hmm. of my leagues, who I think may be super useful this year because he may throw more innings than anyone else. And he looks pretty good right now. And so I'm intrigued by him, but like, he's not a guy that's going to be on my roster for years to come. He's not a guy who's going to, who's going to change the shape of my pitching staff and his upside, to be honest, just, it just isn't that high. We know what Mike Miner's upside is and it's very good, but it's maybe not elite. And I'm not saying that I think Trevor Rogers is going to go out and win a Cy Young someday or something like that, but there's, there's more long-term upside with him than there is with some of the other guys who are out there. And so that's super intriguing to me. And so, yeah, I, I think that seven or eight is probably a pretty good, pretty good number he's one of a few players this spring who have just i mean they turned their value that was there was absolutely no value into incredible value and in a league i'm in it's a very very competitive three it's just a three keeper like the odds are very heavy he's not going to be kept he just went 170th overall 170 and this is not (laughs) right it's not a group of guys that you know they don't know what they're doing they just kind of enjoy this is a competitive league and he went 170th. So that's what a 10 on your one to 10 scale looks like. <laughs> ten, yes. Yes. Trevor Rogers is taking him 170. <laughs> and I mean, based on my comments earlier, I'm sure you guys know that pitching was probably moved up a lot in this draft and it definitely was, mm. but even still he went ahead of, you know, proven arms like Boyd. Well, I don't know really what Boyd has proven, but Keuchel and, and names like that. <laughs> He's proven something. I just don't know if it's yeah. the right thing to prove. <laughs> So the next name on this list I I really wanted to ask because I don't know much about him, and yet he has locked down a role for a rotation that pitches in one of the best home parks to pitch in, and that's Dalton Jeffries of the Athletics coming off a great spring. So give me 1 to 10. I'm realizing this is a completely nonsensical scale here, but no, I like fire it. away. Yeah, I, I'm going to actually probably go a little bit lower than people might think and, and say five. And here's why. Let me just go ahead and read off the innings pitched totals with some quick maths. And these are totals for the year. So I'm going to add if he was in multiple levels, I'll add them together. Dalton Jeffries threw 11 innings in 2016 through seven in 2017. He threw two in 2018. He threw 79 in 2019 and he threw two in 2020 so what <laughs> like well what what are you gonna get why like i there were guys i think had spent like 200 dollars in fob uh and tgfbi on dalton jeffries and theoretically he could be a stopgap for aj puck if, to aj puck's probably gonna get a few more starts down on the alternate site and then be called up and replace dalton jeffries so jeffries can come out of the pen if i'm in a more long-term league i can't even necessarily recommend spending a dollar or two on him because i don't know when you're ever going to be able to get 100 innings out of dalton jeffries right that's what scares me the most like wasting that money on guys who may never actually be healthy long enough to throw and this is a young kid you know what I mean? And this is multiple years of injuries. So I'm a little bit concerned. If we're talking in a vacuum about pure stuff, yes, really, really good command, really, really good changeup, really exciting fastball. He's not going to like blow it by you, but he's got, you know, about league average velocity, which is still like 94, 95 nowadays. But he's another guy that I'm afraid is getting into shiny new toy territory. Just worry about those innings. I'm probably even lower on him for all the same reasons. I think for me, he's a guy that I'm watching now. I am perfectly happy to let someone else pick him up and spend the fab dollars or whatever else you're spending to the salary to get him. And then 
in June when he shut down for a few weeks to rest his arm and he gets dropped. <laughs> I'll put him back on my watch list and we'll see. And if he has yeah. a good year this year, good results pitching in bulk relief, which I think is where he's likely like, I think the best case for him is he has a good year this year of bulk relief. And then maybe late in the year, I pick him up like in an auto new league where mm-hmm. I could pick him up for a dollar and maybe keep him for three next year. I could see picking him up late in the season and just sitting on him in the off season and seeing what their plans are for him. But I, I think you're right. Yeah. I, I need to see him throw like, 75 innings this year and if he gets to 75 (laughs) this year then i believe he might get to 100 150 next year and get a rotation spot and all that but i just i can't imagine they push him past 75 i think if he gets to 75 they're going to shut him down because why would you risk that young arm like you said there's so much talent in it but yeah man it yeah i'm i'm out for now i'll be back in later if he proves it well, that, that sums up pretty well why I didn't know anything about him. So thank you, boys. Um, I definitely don't <laughs> own him in the community league for pitcher list. So, yeah, that's definitely not the case. Moving on to the next name on the list. I don't, I don't have anything to add there on Jeffries. I was completely just sort of riding the spring training hype. But the next guy is someone who I love. I loved watching him last year. He pitched with guts, doesn't put up gaudy numbers and from everything i read everywhere it's like you should have no interest in this man and yet i keep finding myself drawn to taking him in my nfbc 50s and everywhere else and that's justin dunn of the seattle mariners uh so what are your thoughts on dunn long term dunn is like your xfip it's like the xfit for alex right it's like you know it's a bad relationship you know there's no reason for you to be there but you just can't quit him Oh, I was rolling him out like enough. weekly last year for absolutely no reason. I was just like, nah, man, trust me, Justin Dunn is really good. And then that would not be the case. I am sadly here to enable you. Um, <laughs> and I, I would say that overall, uh, his I would put him at a four, and but for a different reason that you would think. I put him actually at number 99 because I am a little bit interested in the new velocity that he's been showing this spring training. I'm also interested in this new changeup, this like weird Frankenstein changeup that he's been working. And I'm a sucker for these kind of narratives sometimes, but he found out that he was allergic to dairy and eggs. And I wouldn't care about that, but he said he ate eggs before every start. And like, I literally cannot imagine being like, oh yeah, I'm allergic to the thing just, I ate just, before every start. something. It's like he got out of the mound for every game yeah, and was exactly. like, well, I don't feel very good. I guess this is just what adrenaline yeah. feels like. And someone's like, no, yeah, dude, exactly. you're going into anaphylactic shock. We need to <laughs> oh my God, I am now yeah. going to take Justin Dunn. I'm going to go add him in all of my leagues. He's done. <laughs> Justin's done eating eggs. New team name. Yes. We're new just, team name. Yeah, new team name. <laughs> that is lovely. The good news, as you said, is also no one is paying attention to him. He's another guy that like wouldn't surprise me if he did take a step forward, but there is obviously still considerable floor. The reason I give him a four for both this year and next year is a, I don't know what the innings are going to look like because he's in a six man rotation. And I'm also dropping six man rotation guys a little bit, because if you want a starting pitcher, you want that upside too of being able to get a two start week every once in a while, especially in a points league and in a six man rotation, not going to happen as much. I also don't know what the future is going to look like for him with a rotation that not only has Paxton and Sheffield and Kikuchi maybe for a little while, but then as you mentioned, already has all of those guys in the minors who have probably considerably more upside than Justin Dunn. So I don't know what that means for his future, whether he's ever going to escalate to something higher than a back end starter for them. Yeah. And you mentioned 
Paxton, Sheffield, and Kikuchi. You didn't even mention Marco Gonzalez, who was ostensibly the ace in Seattle. And so yeah. I, I'm with you for the same reason. I think I think he's a placeholder. I think the talent is there. I think the new velocity. <laughs> unfortunately, I think the new velocity is going to hurt his standing as a starter because I think it's going to make him that much more appealing as a reliever. Oh, he can get it up in the oh, upper nineties. Okay, well, we could use some relief pitchers and I'm in Seattle, and so I'm a, a Mariners ticket holder, despite being a Cleveland fan. And so I'm excited to watch Dunn pitch, see what he can do, but I don't think there's a rotation spot for him. I just don't think it's there long term. Now, Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, but was it you that was in on Chris Flexen as well? I'm very excited to watch him just because he's got that KBO place in my heart and he's got a nice breaking pitch and he's young and he had a good prospect pedigree. I think the reason I took a step back, as I've learned in in, in conversations with some of these guys, it is an adjustment. There's going to be a two or three month adjustment between the KBO back to the MLB. And I think it takes guys a little while to be like, ah, yes, I cannot put these pitches here because they are going to destroy them. Or I need to make sure my velocity is here. So I'm probably out for a little while, but I would love for him to succeed. So that the only reason I bring that up is not because I have any kind of long-term expectations for flexing, but you know, you bring up the six-man rotation and the more I look at it, if he's not pitching well and Paxton just looks like, hey man, I, I can go out every fifth day. Like I, I could see them actually abandoning the six-man rotation pretty early in the season. I mean, the rotation's obviously still young outside of Paxton with with Sheffield and well, Kikuchi's not even that young, but relative to MLB experience, he is. So I could see them actually abandoning the six man, but I'm going to he's done with eggs. I am. I'm going to ride the Justin Dunn train. He's going to be on my bench (laughs) in my 50, you know, player leagues. But yeah, but yeah, sure. All right. Well, we can move on from Dunn. It doesn't sound like they're that energetic about him. But the next name I think we're going to get more of a reaction out of, and that's Freddie Peralta of the Milwaukee Brewers, who looks like he's finally added a third pitch, Alex. Oh, yeah, that slider. It's real interesting. (laughs) It's real interesting. He's one of the guys that I'm a little bit upset that I don't have rostered anywhere. And that hurts. But I'm also maybe this is my vindictiveness as a result of not having him rostered. But I think we should also caution that there is a considerable floor there. There were command issues, which is really important. Also, we just don't know, is he ever going to be a full starter and get that full starter's workload? This is an organization that is known for, you know, for doing that. They We saw at the end of spring training that they were quick to go Peralta into Lindblom. And I do still think at the end of the year that Lindblom ends the year with more innings than Freddie Peralta. With that said, if you can get Freddie Peralta for a dollar, he is a guy that I'm probably most interested in because that that upside is there. There, there is tangible, tangible upside there. So very exciting. Yeah, I think the, the floor is concerning here. I, I don't really have a lot to add. I think the one thing I'll say is I, I can't remember. I'm trying to remember who it was. I was just pulling up my phone to try to look for it on Twitter. Somebody tweeted the other day in response to somebody... Somebody made a comment about Peralta's troubles the third time through the order, and I think it was Justin Mason, and his reply was, he has to get through the order a second time before he can worry about the third. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that's sort of how I feel. It's like, man, I totally get the upside. I totally get it. There, There is clearly electric talent there. I'm not usually a big, like, I'll pay for it when I see it guy, because I think if you pay for it when you see it, it's probably too late. You've got to be willing Mm -hmm. to take some bets here and there. I just, I don't know. It's almost like I'm not going to pay for it because I've seen how how bad it can go in the past with him. And so he's a guy I've been like, I thought I was interested in. I thought I was targeting him. I thought I was pretty high on him. And then I ended up with him nowhere. 
And usually what that tells me is I'm not actually as high on him as everyone else is, right? And that happens sometimes where there's a guy who I think like, man, he's got electric talent. Imagine if he puts it all together. Here's my concerns. And so I'm going to be a little cautious. And the problem is there's a good two, three people in every other league I've played in who aren't as cautious as me. And so I'm high on him. I'm interested. I think that there's a ton of potential there. And I, I'm just not as high as I would need to be to actually have him on a roster anywhere. And it's because of that issue getting through the lineup multiple times that maybe this, maybe the new pitch solves that, right? Maybe that's the difference, but I'm, I don't know. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm going to go against the grain here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have, and I'm going to ask you for a grade, Alex, on our oh. scale that is very clear and you understand the levels of each level on that scale. But Freddie Peralta, I'm actually, I'm feeling it. I am. He's still so young. He's under 25 years old. And when you tell me he's making a tangible change and he was already posting on a, on a micro scale, gaudy strikeout numbers relative to innings pitched. I mean, he's going to be a guy who's going to post a solid K per nine. I think for his fantasy value, at least for this year, it might have even been better had Lindblom actually won that job. Because if it was going to be this like Ross Stripling and Julio Urias combo, Hmm. you know, then all of a sudden you've got Peralta coming in. He's going to still post those gaudy strikeout numbers. And he's got a higher chance at wins. I think wins could be few and far between for him, especially with how good that bullpen is out there in Milwaukee. But I think they're in it to win it. And I think if they thought Lindblom gives us a better chance to win, then Lindblom would be in that rotation. I don't think this is a team that's like, ah, well, we just want to get Freddie his innings. That's a winnable division with not that great of offenses. And I I think Peralta will be able to produce. Yeah, you made me push it up from, I think I'm at a seven, seven, seven and a half. Seven and a half. All right. Seven and a half. So he's just edging out or no, he's, he's a half below Trevor Rogers there, but we got a second place finisher here. So to wrap it up. So there's two, there's Dane Dunning, Logan Webb. I'll let you pick one, Alex. Who do you want to, who do you want to rate here on our scale? I'll say Webb. I'm going to put Webb at, uh, okay. I'm going to put Webb at a six because I don't want to read too much into spring training stats, but man, yeah, I, I have really, it's been pretty impressive to see what we're seeing from Webb. He's also another guy that like, I wonder if just the giants are another organization where we're just not giving them enough credit, right? They, they did something with Kevin Gaussman last year. It seems where he was able to get a new tick of velocity. They did something with Trevor Cahill was a guy that we were drafting at the end of last year because of the changes that he made over there. And I remember a couple of years ago when Derek Rodriguez was the guy, it was like, Oh my God, well, what is going on here? Of course he completely fell off. So maybe I'm wrong there, but yeah, I I pretty think some, some promising stuff there between that slider and that changeup. Uh, and especially, you know, once again, we're looking long term, but really nice early season schedule. So you can get him for pretty cheap. He's available in a majority of the leagues that I've seen. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Webb is a guy who I look at every spring because projections have been high on him almost mm-hmm. every year. I am, especially in my in my auto new leagues, I use projections a lot to set values. And so he's always this guy who looks like he's a very valuable pitcher and hasn't really been. And so I, I feel like I've been burned by him a couple times, but he's got like, is it a 17 to one strikeout to walk ratio in the spring? Yes. He has walked one person. I have a hard time looking past that. I know it's spring. And now, now here I am. It's like, I talked about Randy Dobnak's K rate in the spring. And I'm talking about strikeout to walk ratio for, for Logan Webb. I get that these are limited things. I think the thing that stands out for me in both of those cases is they represent such drastic improvements. Like his strikeout to walk ratio, Webb's the last couple of years has been closer to two, right? Which is not very good. You want it to be 
higher than that. And that's such a big change in something that if he's throwing more strikes, he can control that. Same thing with Dobnak, right? Like it is such a huge jump from where he was to the strikeout rate he posted in the spring that it stands out to me. And that's the cases where I look at a spring stat and think, okay, I know it's just a spring stat, but it looks like such a meaningful improvement that it's hard to overlook. I've been trying to avoid thinking about Logan Webb because I didn't want to get burned again. And I know (laughs) that now that we've talked about him, I'm going to go out and add him in a bunch of places. And if it doesn't go well, I'm going to blame both of you. No, it's okay. To to uh to quote uh what's his name? Billy Joel, we will all go down together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was a guy who I, I wrote about before the season, um, before really before spring training kicked off on my piece for pitcher list. One thing every national league team should do before the season starts. And I, I wanted them to basically use Logan Webb. I was worried he might not make the rotation. Obviously, this spring has has turned that around. But I think he's been a victim of of bad luck, at least last year. Like I think he I think there's more there not in terms of strikeout potential he was a guy who he barely stranded anybody last year he got on base there was a 50 50 chance you were scoring on him he had a very high BABIP so just in that general sense like he was serviceable and he was unlucky so I think he could be a little bit better and since we're obviously talking deeper leagues I think he could be of some value this year and a lot of it has to do with the park right with San Francisco it was like all of a sudden a hitter's park last year but that might change this year I'm not completely up to date on that I know it has something to do with some gate or something like that that has to do with something like that weird it's very bizarre but yeah you hit it on the head so alex we've gone through a bunch of guys here anyone else that you would recommend as someone you might be able to pick up now get cheap right now who has keeper potential somebody who an arm that you're looking at and thinking man this guy could be on my team for the next two three years even longer maybe and they're they're freely available We've covered a lot of names, so it is okay if you're like we've covered so many names. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, I, I, I... Tanner Houck. Tanner. <laughs> I am excited about Tanner Houck. I mean, okay, there's a few. I guess I'm taking a second to say it because I'm really thinking to myself, like, do I actually want to put this into the universe and have this be recorded on a podcast and held against me for the rest of my life? I don't know. Another guy I've had a journey with. I don't know if I'm ready to quite give up on Dylan Cease yet. I do think there could theoretically still be command fixes coming with this new pitching coach that has me interested in him. I am not taking him anywhere. I am letting him stay on the wire and I am watching from afar, but I don't want people to think that because he struggled with that command that he is all of a sudden gone, right? Lucas Giolito struggled with his command. He struggled and wasn't very effective. He was the worst pitcher in baseball. And then guess who fixed him? The guy who was now the pitching coach for the Chicago White Sox. Is that same thing going to happen with Dylan Cease? Probably not. But the, the Sox seem really excited about him. Grandall has had some really great things to say about him. And yes. he's a guy that in, in auto new leagues, we've got 40 man rosters and 480 players are rostered. I actually do have him on maybe only on one or maybe only on one roster. But there, I've been I've been I've been watching him very closely. And I think in. You're right. In a in a most formats, he's a watch list guy. In deeper leagues, especially deeper leagues where you might be able to keep him for a long time at a low cost, I think that's mm-hmm. a great name for people to be looking at. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm going to pay attention to what Dean Kramer's doing. You know, I think there's a, an interesting fastball curveball combination there. He's trying to mix in a cutter a little bit, so I'll, I'll pay attention to what's going on with him. We talked a little bit about Spencer Howard. I am not really feeling great personally about Nate Pearson, unless you are trying to get a guy who I think is probably going to end up a reliever. Wow. I, I personally think he is. I think they, it, it, with his injury concerns that just seem perpetual and his velocity and his inability to maintain his velocity over the course of a full start, 
why don't you just connect the dots? Like you could literally have a top tier reliever throwing 65, 60 innings a year and be dominant with him. And, you know, I'm, is he really, is he, you know, the gap between him and, and Jordan Romero seems pretty <laughs> significant. So why don't you like, just do that. The last one I think I will say is that I'm definitely excited to keep an eye on. Don't know if it'll click this year. Anytime the Tampa Bay Rays acquires anyone, I'm going to pay attention. Anytime the Tampa Bay Rays acquires what was a top pitching prospect in Luis Patino, I'm really going to pay attention. Right. That's clearly a guy that they saw that they were like, oh, we can do something there. We could do something real nice with him. We're going to give you Blake Snell. Yeah, we'll take that. That's another guy that in a dynasty league, I'm like, yeah, that could be a fun flyer. Now, with that said, he's on Tampa, so he could get 60 innings for the next 15 <laughs> years and then use an opener and be really frustrating. But yeah, he's the guy I'm keeping an eye on. Awesome. Great list of names. Thank you for that. Pete, before we go, we got to do the auto new question of the day. So what do you got for me? today so i of course wanted to keep it pitcher themed so our league chad i assume is a is a pretty standard odd new points league and that only allows nine starts per week and that's new for me a lot of leagues i play in it's a, it's 12 you know I, i'm sure you're used to alex on espn like you can somehow go over that limit on espn as long as rosters don't lock so i'm used to a lot more starts in a week but with that being standard could a strategy of quantity over quality work where each week out of your many starting pitchers, if you decided to, again, go with quantity, you just play matchups. So like, I'll be honest, this is almost like about my team because I have over 14 starting pitchers and my best one is either James Paxton or Julio Urias. Now, just so the folks know, I took over this team from Nick Pollock. Just, just throwing Nick's pitching staff under the bus, just like that. <laughs> But like, is it, Nick, is it? I want you to know if you're listening that I did not endorse that. That <laughs> Pete is the only one on the payroll who is bad mouthing your pitching staff. <laughs> no, I, I, Chad, you put it in the notes. I'm like Will Ferrell and Anchorman. I was just reading it, and, and that just came out. <laughs> I've been set up. But no, I mean, honestly, I have a lot. I have a ton of starting pitchers, and it's going to be my strategy no matter what you say right now. You could say it's the worst strategy in the world, but I, I have to do it in my predicament. So what if you throw all your money at offense, have this amazing offense, and you go quantity at starting pitcher, and every week you just look, all right, out of my 16 starters, who has the nine best matchups, let's go with that. A couple things. First of all, the setting for the nine starting pitchers per week is is in the head-to-head leagues. So in auto new season-long leagues, whether they're points or roto, it's a 1,500-inning pitch cap. It's a whole different thing. We can talk about that at a different time. In the head-to-head leagues, it is a league-based setting. I think there are some leagues that have 10 or even 11. I can't remember what all the settings are. Nine is fairly standard. A lot of leagues use nine. The reality is, right now, I almost think you have to go quantity, whether or not you have quality, because with the COVID IL still being a thing this year and pitchers ramping up from their weird season last year, and we don't know who's going to get rested and teams are using six man rotations. And I think there's going to be a lot of pitchers who get shut down with, you know, a sore something, a sore, sore shoulder that, you know, requires a couple weeks because they're trying to limit innings for guys. I think the, you know, we always talk about the Dodger shenanigans. I think everybody's going to be playing their shenanigans this year. It's almost unavoidable mm. because of that. Like if you have nine starting pitchers, I don't know if you're going to get nine starts from them every week, which seems crazy because nine starting pitchers should give you 11 or 12, right? You should get most of your guys going one start, a couple of them going two, and you get 11 starts out of that or something like that. I don't know that you're going to get that. And so I actually think you need to have 
at least nine and maybe more like 10 or 11 starting pitchers to feel really good that every week you're going to get what you need. And then, yes, at that point, I, I do think, I still think, like I look at my pitching staff in that league and I've got a couple of, I don't know if I'd call them top guys, more top guys. Certainly, certainly my ace in that league is, is better than what you've got uh, in, in your team. But I, I do think you have to just sort of play matchups and figure out who your best guys are. And so like, I've got uh, Herman Marquez in that league. And yeah, there's some risk in having a Colorado pitcher. There always is. But because I feel like I have enough pitching depth there, because I have to anyways to get to those nine starts, I'll just bench him if he has a bad home start. And actually, his his home road splits aren't as bad as you would think. And so I'll probably use him at home a decent amount. But like he opens the season at home against the Dodgers. I'm not going to start him. Like that was a fairly easy choice. I really like that I've got like I've got Brandon Woodruff on that team. Marquez, I can use more often than not. Zach Wheeler is a pretty stable guy who I can use. And then I've got a bunch of guys like Kikuchi, who I'm really high on, Domingo Herman, who I'm really high on, Patrick Corbin, who we talked about last episode, Shamanaya, Eliezer Hernandez, like all totally fine pitchers that you're exactly right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look, and, and there's a there's a feature when you're looking at your roster or your lineups page in Auto New. This is a, a useful thing for you to be aware of. There is a feature where you can change from seeing the stats. You can change what stats you're looking at. It defaults to their season stats, but you can see what have they done today? What do they have? What have they done when they're in your lineup versus not? What have they done in the last 30 days? One of the options there is next seven days. And if you change that setting to next seven days, it shows you their opponents. And for starting pitchers, it'll show you a little green check mark where they're expected to start. And so I sit down on Sunday night when I'm setting my weekly, my, my, lineups for Monday because they are daily lineups. And I look out at the week and I start to figure out over the next seven days, what do I think are the nine best starts? And that allows me to make decisions like, oh, this guy on Monday who's sort of borderline, I can sit because I've got a bunch of options later that I like better. But that's what I do is I go look at that and say, okay, who who are my nine that I'm most interested in this week? And so like I'm looking at my team right now and I know that Thursday, I've got Brandon Woodruff. I also have Marquez and Hyunjin Ryu if I want to use them. Friday, I've got no one. Saturday, I'm going to have Wheeler against Atlanta, Eliezer Hernandez against Tampa. I'm probably going to start both of them, I think. On Sunday, Corbin against the Mets, Domingo Herman against the Jays, Shamanaya against the Astros. I don't know. We'll see. But I can go out and I can look at that, that week out and say like, okay, is Manaya against the Astros worth risking or do I have enough better options later? So use that feature and do what you're doing. I think what you're, what you're saying is exactly right. I don't think I would choose to go so far as to like 90% of my money is on my, my hitting and I'm just going to like piece together a 14 man mishmash of matchup plays. I like that I've got Woodruff and Wheeler and, and a couple guys up top that I can reliably expect one good start a week from them because it just sets me up to play matchups with everyone else. No, that makes total sense. I just want to add one more thing because you made me think of it when you brought up Corbin, Chad. Right after we record, I want to clarify our last episode. Corbin's velocity was like in line with where it was during the regular season last year. He apparently came out after and was hitting 93 miles an hour. So I am completely changing my tune. Well, I, maybe not completely changing my tune, but him hitting 93. <laughs> your tune. Yeah, him hitting 93 because the episode came out after. So if people listen, they're like, this guy is full of it. No, he was hitting 93 after we recorded, and that is obviously a whole different story. But in terms of the strategy, whether or not it works, it's it's what I have to do. But that is a helpful feature to see who's pitching ahead. 
Alex, what do you think of Patrick Corbin? We had a long conversation about him in our last episode. But I think right now the price is right. I'm really buying back in. I mean, I think he's still being drafted at a position where he, if he really, really hurts you, then it's probably not going to be as terrible. You know, he's, he's not really being drafted as a top 40 guy, I don't think, right now. I personally think I'm more willing to write off last year as just what it was, a mess for him. This is also a guy who we've seen instances where he loses his fastball. and He's like, yeah, I don't have my fastball right now. And then he gets it back and he just goes in these dominant stretches. So, yeah, I, I don't really have a problem with, with Patrick Corbin. All right. Well, that means that I was right and Pete was wrong. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank you, Alex, for joining us. Really appreciate yeah. it. It was great to have you on. Hopefully our listeners are going to have very strong pitching staffs this year and next, thanks to to your advice and input. Just a reminder to everyone to please subscribe to Keeper Cut everywhere that podcasts are subscribable. Leave us ratings and reviews. We definitely appreciate that. You can follow us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. That's cut with a K. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chad Young, Pete at Pete B Baseball. Alex, where can they find you? Find me at AlexFast8. At Alex Fast 8. So yeah, follow Alex. Great, great insight on, on baseball across the board, but especially on pitching. Again, Alex, thanks for joining us and thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.